Welcome to Following the Leftovers, the officially unofficial podcast for The Leftovers on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 6, titled Lens. Uh, I think we know where that title leads us yep. in this episode. So, Nora is the lens. Nora dropped her contact on the ground at the benefit, and she's fumbling yeah. around trying to find it and accidentally acquired the questionnaire from Yeah, the, what are you going to do? Yeah. You know. you know, contact lenses pick up all sorts of shit when you drop them. God knows. Yeah. God knows. Questionnaires, dirt. Lint, dirt, <laughs> eyelashes, uh-huh. briefcases. The, the keys to unlocking uh, inner revelations about yourself. Sure. <laughs> so many things. That sort of stuff. Uh, I re- I cannot say how much I love this show now. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's incredible, man. I... Everything just keeps building on itself in a way that I I, yeah. don't, I don't even care if it's sustainable anymore. <laughs> I can always choose to stop watching this, and they can't take away how I felt these last uh, year and a half. And it always just seems like they're doing the next thing that I want them to do. It, it never feels like they're for, they're shoehorning an episode in where it doesn't need to be. I thought that about the Tom and Lori stuff maybe mm-hmm. before I saw that episode. But that was a that was a fear, a knee jerk fear of where they're going. When you yeah. saw it, it's like, oh, this fits like a puzzle piece. Yeah. yeah, works perfectly. And you know, they've told these other two stories. Now it's time for this one. And I felt like this was just an extension of everything I wanted to know. And I was also blown away by how many mysteries. Not not that they didn't introduce new ones, but how many mysteries kind of were neatly tied up. Yeah. Like, I I understand the goat thing. I understand the wedding dress thing. I understand... Uh, uh, I feel like we understood those. We had implied certain things that we already kind of guessed the meaning of. But stuff like Michael, the relationship of... Uh, what's the guy's name? Virgil. Virgil. Yeah. And the Murphys. Uh-huh. And, the, you know, we found out so much more detail about that. The fact that John, yeah. the person he tried to kill, was Virgil. Which neatly explains why Virgil's got a limp. Yeah, and we Got don't know shot. why. Now we don't know what the unforgivable act is, but but those breadcrumbs are being laid, and I like it. The thing, you know, the big thing we find out, I guess, is the bird. Like, yeah. what the fuck is going on with the bird? And we just get it explained this time. And also, like, just minor things to not take for granted. For like, you know, how many times do we complain about people never talking to each other and yeah. telling things critical information? Uh-huh. This is a show where you would kind of forgive Kevin not coming clean with Nora about being crazy, but. We're not even halfway through the season. I guess we're exactly halfway through, and this thing is dealt with. Well, yeah. It's not dealt with. It's at least in in the open. They had the conversation. Yeah, yeah. And, again, I I didn't expect that. And it was like, wow, that's they're just getting out there. What does that do to Nora? And Nora's such an interesting character now because she, quote-unquote, wished away her family. Because she feels like she did all yeah. too much, and she was trying to do this career thing, and and her her husband is off cheating with this girl, and he wasn't any help, and now she's left all alone, and she and, spent a lot of time denying that fact, and she realized how badly she missed her family, and and how bad she missed that role, and now she's got a new family where she's the mommy to everyone. Sure, the baby obviously relies on her. Kevin is losing her his mind. Jill needs guidance. Matt dumps mary who's at who's worse than a baby as far as how much upkeep Care, and stuff yeah. and like you know wrestling her out of a car and, and like yeah you and can, i wonder it's how hard she, to carry mary inside how does she feel about that she's, uh, she's been she, all these responsibilities have been put right back onto her is and and i i think they're asking us to ask like her extreme denial of kevin's actions like she's got 
she's way over on the other side of the pendulum. Like she yeah. petulantly lost her temper at her kids and her and something everyone does. Sure, but now she's and like felt super unwilling to it. lose her shit towards them, no matter what the provocation. And even Kevin's like, "Really? We're just going to we're just going to continue to pretend like this is normal? How do I have to kill somebody before you you know even get mad or cross with me? I, I, I just it's all good. It's so good. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, I can't say enough about this this last set of scenes. Uh, I mean, I've I don't know. Sometimes the Emmys can be a bit of a lesser of two evils sort of thing. Crapshoot, like, sure. You know, you got some good performances that maybe aren't perfect. This is like the next level. I mean, I would put this up against anything that gets nominated for an Oscar, frankly. Uh, I mean, this scene with Regina King and that's uh, the thing. Like, Coon is either one of them, perfect. they could be battling each other. Yes. like they did in this they, scene. They might. They might be. <laughs> they and, might, in fact, be the only people in contention for the Emmy. And then the fact that the camera just like. Like, back the fuck up, man. Yeah, these women's personal space. Like, oh, every time it cut, it just got closer and closer. Yeah. And, ah. and, and it gives you this, this sense of, like, focusing in on the the realizations they're having about themselves in those moments, right? Like, yeah. through the language of cinema, it's telling a story all its own. And I, th- I think I, – I don't know if I've seen a better scene this year in any show. Uh, yeah, it's it's really good. It's really good. And now, I know you haven't seen Fargo yet. Not this week's, yeah. I saw them both back-to-back last night. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we talked about this who won the week's silly thing that we do. This little pseudo-competition that we've invented because we're both super competitive people and we like that kind of thing. Uh-huh. I feel like this week might be the first split decision draw. Oh, my God, you're crazy. Like you're I haven't seen Fargo, but you're it's insane. Like, it's like 10, 10, 10 and 10. Like, How I, is that even possible? It's real. It's we're, we're having an embarrassment of riches in television right now. All right. Well, I haven't seen Fargo, so I'm not going to argue it too much, but... Yeah, and I've only seen. It Damn, once, I was impressed so. by this episode. Yeah, I've I've seen uh, I've seen leftovers twice twice more since I watched Fargo, and it's boy, it 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 held up like a champ. Um, I felt like I, you know, could have gone through another pass and got even more detail because there's so much stuff and like like this Reza Aslan guy who's come on and he gave a couple interviews in the last few weeks where he's eventually saying everything we put on screen means something, please, please do deep dives and obsess over details because it's all things we did deliberately and they'll be noticing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like I decided to look in this greater Rehoboth Baptist second annual pilgrimage that they're all posing with the, you know, they have this banner and they're posing with the wedding lady. Okay. Yeah, this is like one of the crazy demon researcher. Yeah, yeah. He's he's in this this busload of I guess Korean Methodists, and he he's seeing some crazy sights. I, I did some research into this town, uh, this Rehoboth. It's a biblical town. There's like three re- references to it in the Bible. Number one, it's a well that Isaac dug. Uh, and the backstory of this that Isaac and his servants had dug two wells before Rehoboth. And these herdsmen that I guess was related to him were battling over water rights, and they kept button heads. They kept digging more wells, and this third well was the charm because that finally was enough wells, and they quit squabbling over it. <laughs> that seems like an obvious solution, but you know, yeah. And <laughs> so Rehoboth, I guess, has a meaning of now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in this land. Okay. And again, water reference. But wait, there's more. Uh, it's also an ancient... So God's uh, doing away with overpopulation problems. 
<laughs> it's like you know what you got too many people we'll just get rid of some of them at uh, random you know it's like uh maybe we're taking away the well that makes everyone flourish and okay is, yeah is giving one room uh i also thought it was interesting that it was another um i don't know this is a less it's it's another city it's an edomite king created it and it's both by the river which is another connection to the rivers, but also a lot of biblical scholars think that the river they're talking about is the Euphrates, which is also famously running mm-hmm. through Babylon. Yeah. That's another, like, a three-part reference. And then the third part is Reboath was also a biblical town that was either founded by Asher, which is a son of Shem, which is a son of Noah. Shem was, one the, like, the more devout of Noah's sons. And um, according to Luke, his is chronolo- uh, chronology or genealogy, uh, he's uh, one of the... It's not descendants of Jesus, precedents, ancestors of Jesus. Okay. Um, so it could be either founded by him or Nimrod. So this is a town that's either founded by a very holy man who is one of the descendants of the Messiah. And or a complete Nimrod. Well, that's the thing. There's <laughs> there, there, That was, you know, it has interesting implications with huh. Lily and Wayne and whether she's the son of a Messiah. And Nimrod, sure, of course, yeah. is the mighty hunter that is most famous in the Bible for founding the Tower of Babel, which later became Babylon. Yeah, he's most famous to me for having a terrible name. (laughs) You know what's interesting? So everyone, Bugs Bunny popularized the concept of Nimrod to to refer to as an idiot. Yeah. But the the Bugs Bunny writers were actually using this biblical inside joke to make fun of Elmer Fudd. He's essentially sarcastically calling him a great hunter. But yet ah, now everyone thinks of Nimrod as a generic insult for like yeah, yeah. poop. Okay, but no, Nimrod is a mighty hunter sense. that was mad at God and said, "Screw God, we'll come together and build a big tower that'll be up in the heavens, and we'll go punch God in the face or something." Yeah, I didn't get that. So there's a, a three part like that. That's one little throwaway reference is a three part thing that all somehow managed to strengthen the themes of the episode. Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, and you know, it's helped digging. out by fans wanting to read into this stuff. So. Well, but then, you know, get this resin Maybe it's got the one do thing. It. Do it. He's calling us out. He's like, I, sure. I, I, chow, I double dog dare you to find the empty reference. Sure, yeah. I don't I don't think he put an empty reference in there, but maybe he didn't expect three the, the three-layer burrito oh, he expected. of meaning he, expected. he was getting. Okay. He's baking his crunch wrap. I'm just eating it. Uh, what do we, Where do we want to talk? There's so many things. Do you want to stick with the Azrael revel- revelation that... You know, I don't Nora... know anything about Azrael. Okay, so He's... Nora is been preoccupied this whole episode of this lensing concept. Yeah, sure. That she thinks is just total bullshit. But then she starts seeing some Scientific American articles, and this her colleague, former colleague from the SDS, is talking about like, oh yeah, this is you know where there's this theory that instead of focusing on the people that were departed. The people that are close to departed, that they're, they're, they give off some give kind of UV rays. What is he talking I, I, about? Even he's like, I don't really, I've not read the paper. Yeah. I'm just reading the questionnaire. But like the idea that there's something special about the people that you can draw little connections to, the ones that disappeared to these people, and they they sure. manifested this thing that caused people to be departed. And which, the doubt begins to creep in. Which that's the worst thing yeah. that Nora, you can tell that Nora's hysterical thinking that she's directly culpable for these events or that these events could happen again. Yeah. Uh, and she's unsettled to say the least about, e- you know, this thing with Evie and they're investigating this as a potential departure. But yet 
her history with the recurrence division leads her to believe that this is all bullshit. Yeah. And this guy, George, who's also more famous as Freddie Rumson, the guy who peed his pants on Mad Men. Yep. Uh pisses his pants all the time. Like that's his his his, his first problem. His second <laughs> problem is that uh he's he's actually believing this. He is. He's he's telling her the questionnaires are basically, yeah, proving out that we're verifying this shit. So I felt like Second it was interesting that Nora started taking this seriously when it became connected to science. And then when the scientific researchers say, hey, we actually think you're the earthly instrument of this demon Azrael. Mm-hmm. And she just starts cracking up and hangs up the phone. Yet, I think the way they played that with her turning away, you couldn't tell if she had transitioned to sobbing. And whether those are sobs of relief or, you know... How, hmm. how if she's ever going to be able to get away from these questions? I, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Here's the thing about Azrael. He is the in Jewish and some Islamic uh, traditions. It's the name of the angel of death. Okay, the one that God sent after Pharaoh's firstborn, and many other points in the Bible where you know God needs a hitman and he comes down and does it. Hmm. Do you recall? When Nora had the prostitute shoot her yeah. last season, she blared a, head, a death metal album, and it was Slayer's yeah. Angel of Death. So it was. So are they... I mean, at some level, they're clearly fucking with us here, but how much are they fucking with us? Like, are we supposed Are they to- trying to say that she is, in fact, the Angel of Death, and that this lensing idea is true? I... <sighs> They said they're never going to answer that, right? Well, well, they said they're never going to answer where these people went and why it happened. This is the wiggle room that sometimes concerns me about the show. Yeah. But I don't know. But I don't know why I'm not angry because I feel like that this should be too cute, too cute by far, to have her dismiss this spiritual explanation, pseudoscience explanation, but then also have her randomly pick the angel of death as something to cover the sound of her own staged. That's staged. The ritual lies death. Well, that's writers winking at you. That's not Nora acknowledging to herself. That's not a character motivation. They're not writing that into the show. I don't think she picks Angel of Death because she feels that she's the Angel of Death in that moment. No, and she hasn't. But it's it's it. I mean, I'm not even seriously. Per, I'm not even seriously propounding this. But one could say that Azrael's manipulating her. No. No, come on. Also, like, uh, you I mean, know. there's no reason to say no to that. I suppose. No, I know um, what you're to, saying. To, for her to laugh in the face of it, I guess, is a little close-minded of her. <laughs> but that's her defense mechanism too, right? Like she can't allow herself to believe that. No. A, it sounds fucking insane. Even though there has been a departure uh, that is completely unexplainable, and B, that would break her. Like, yeah, she. The reason she throws the rock through Erica's window is because Erica is reminding her of what what her worst fears are. Yes. That's that's the thing. Like, she can't allow herself to feel that way. And the reason she breaks down at the end of this, when Erica asks her about what she what her kids said to her at the end of it all, like, is because she finally does think, yeah, you're you're right. Oh, shit. You could, your, your I daughter, caused this. You, and your daughter might have departed, and I might be to blame for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it was powerful. Now, you mentioned the, the rock throwing through the window thing. Um, yeah. I, yes, I think that's ultimately what it's all about. But there's 
what's interesting about that scene is there's many reasons why she could have thrown that rock. The just on the face of it, when I first saw her throw the rock, I'm thinking, oh, she's really pissed off at the Murphys for exiling Matt. Yeah, and so that's, that's a, that would be too. a perfectly human. Uh-huh. Re- but but she's in constant denial about where the anger is coming from, and the only one that really calls her on it is Matt. And I thought that was a brilliant scene between brothers and sisters. Like, it's very hard to lie to your brother or sister. They've seen you yeah. in every situation. They know all your tells. They have sure. an almost instinctual... If you have any kind of close relationship with your brother or sister, mm-hmm. they have an almost instinctual re- nose and eye for when you're not telling the full truth. And I thought that was a great brother-sister scene. Yeah. No, it is. I... And I wonder, is Matt holding a grudge? Like, Matt seems to be angry about it in this situation, too. I think Matt seemed bothered that she is doing something provocative to these people when he is all about forgiveness and mercy. I mean, he's on a Christian... He's on some kind of spiritual kick. Yeah, but I got the feeling he was holding a grudge against against John for not vouching for him getting him back in town. I think he let all that go. Like, my... my, I thought... I read this, and you could be right. Because I... It's not clear cut. I'm, I think I, I'm seeing some cracks in his spiritual armor. I see here. where you're coming from. Okay, but I, and I thought he was going to be huffy about Mary being used in that way. But it seemed like his concern was mostly, don't you think that will be taken as a hostile act? Yeah, and not hostile to Mary and me. Hostile to like you're parading Toward this thing. Sure, you know you just kicked us out of town, but here we're coming. You're coming, and you're turns out it didn't supporting the neighbors and all that stuff. But Nora's yeah. trying to pit. A, she's trying to deny it. Like mm-hmm. that's an. You know, if we're keeping on the Nora horse here, sure. That is another theme that's reinforced the fact that she's in denial about something, about her anger with this family, and she's trying to cover up by going yeah. to, you know, making sure she's there at the thing, which even Kevin thinks. Like, Kevin's not thinking about it from the Matt side. He's just like, these guys are assholes. Why would you support them? And this- she's going and making a splashy donation. Uh huh. And this is the big change in Nora from season one to season two. In season one, when she's having prostitutes shoot her, <laughs> she's feeling guilty about this whole thing, right? She mm-hmm. truly does feel like, oh, my God, I wish my family away. Now she's hardened against that. And she's gotten past it, like she says, and she's in some kind of denial. And I, I don't know if it's warranted or not. I mean, I don't know if she caused her kids and husband to vanish or or if the denial is literally just that, denial of a fact uh and i don't know that we'll ever know the answer to that question but certainly for nora now at the end of this episode i think she all of that has come home to roost and she once again feels extreme guilt about what she may or may not have done and certainly not like it might not even be if if it's a fact or not it might just be like in that moment i was wishing my family was gone and i feel guilty about that yeah it doesn't it doesn't have to be true that she wished him away no god no that's the thing like yeah you know people blame themselves all the time for things they're not responsible for yes which i thought it was kind of empowering how nora said that it's like you know that's literally like i've had therapy and i got hugged by wayne and i've got a new man and i've moved on yeah. You're wallowing, and this is a childish viewpoint. It's pathetic. And, and Erica destroys her with a couple of uh, of pointed questions. Like, 
That's yeah. the thing. Like, you never go against an angry black woman who has complete moral <laughs> certainty on her side. I've seen sure. the color purple. I saw yeah. Whoopi Goldberg age Donald Glover, Danny Glover like 30 <laughs> years in a single scene. In a single sentence, you, you, really. You, you, can't, you can't fight that, Nora. But Nora doesn't know that, and she got fucking blown away. Yeah. Uh, Erica yeah. went Super Saiyan on her. She got just just destroyed by this blinding light from this woman. I yeah, and the restrained anger and resolve in her face, that's in the, Regina King's face. Oh my god, uh, the strength versus, I guess you'd call it false bravado that Nora's kind of got the swagger that she's had this season, and maybe it's fake, maybe it's strength, but the fact that like when as soon as Carrie got not Carrie Nora got out the door. Then Erica completely kind of like she low, you know, she lowers her weapons and armor, and she kind of falls apart a little bit too. I gotta ask, yeah, you. and she gets angry. Um, she, she gets angry. I think partially at that line of questioning and and being called pathetic, but also because she's realized at this moment, oh, Nora threw that rock through my window. Here's one back. You think so? I think she realizes it. Yeah. Oh man, like she she kind of understands Nora and that. You know, she's in this denial and that the disappearance or the departure, whatever, uh, was making her angry. I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly. I mean, you're it's hard to I can't imagine why else. I well, it could be just because fuck you. I mean, and that that's just on her mind. Like, oh, rock through the window. That's the first thing she jumps through. This town's going to throw a rock through my window. Yeah. Shit. My husband's doing. Well, bam. Maybe. Maybe. But yeah, I think that's another valid. I kind of lean towards you. It's just I don't. When she's able to dig in that it's deep It's a pure intuitive thing. Like, she had an intuitive revelation by going toe-to-toe with, with Nora and, yeah. and laying her anger bare. Then, yeah, I think you're probably right. But That's I, where I saw it coming yeah, from. Yeah, but I, I wasn't wanting to credit someone. But, yeah, she... I mean, she's able to wedge into her psyche because I've, so thoroughly. I thought that, that was the brilliant thing on the rewatch is how well this... Like, John... Like, John's like... Yeah, why do you think they're throwing rocks through the window? And she's like, "Really? <laughs> Come on, really?" So like, we as the viewers are like, "Of course." You know, we also simultaneously knew uh-huh. it wasn't anything to connected to this, but everybody in the Murphy house is thinking, "This is you, John." This Perfectly reasonable. You. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to talk about Erica a little bit. Why? Is Erica stonewalling George? Because it's clearly not because she's afraid to f- find out that Evie was fake departed. Um, of course, hmm. that's Nora's. That was Nora's thing. Like you're she afraid that want... we're all going to find out that you that she's not really departed, which means she either ran away because, or maybe something else nefarious happened. I think she maybe doesn't want to be confronted with these questions that Nora's asking her. But why? But I don't understand why she's stoned like this. The I mean, she was so angry when the mothers are like, would you please answer this guy's question so we can get some peace? And she uh-huh. was like, fuck you. You're a drunk. And you're a whore. And I mean, she's just like, un, uh, just, just so cold at these girls, for these women, for asking a fairly reasonable question. Um, and they've all lost the same thing. It's not like... You know, they're not personally invested in this in a way that she's not. And I don't think it's that she's angry. She's trying to wish herself out of it, too. I mean, that's what the the new birds are about, the dying birds, right? She wants to wish the wish Evie back. Do you think she doesn't want to be – what her fear is, she doesn't want to be confronted with the fact that this was her fault. It could be. But yeah. she thinks in the back of her mind that with this this bird story, which is another mystery they, they solved. Well – they didn't solve well, for us, but they get we we know a hell of a lot more about it than we did before. 
Yeah, I mean, she she seems to be pretty honest with herself. Like, she seems to have bought into this idea that I caused it, right? Like, with her wish. Well, it's hard when you're confronted with something supernatural. Like, sure. the, the 30, you know, 30 hours. It's medically impossible for a bird to survive for 30 hours yeah. underground. And this one went 72, and it was on death's door when uh-huh. I put it in there. And then, oh, my daughter disappears. And, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons she wouldn't want someone asking her 20 questions. Um the least of which is her leaving John. Uh, she probably doesn't want that coming to light. She probably doesn't want to talk about John at all because of the shit he's been up to that she can't talk about. Um, I, I think there's a lot of reasons for her to have a backlash against this guy. Yeah. Yo, no. I mean, John's an a- I mean, John's a disaster. Yeah. He's now beating up Hodor for selling water. And she probably doesn't want this guy to come in and stamp verified on this questionnaire yeah. when she's trying to wish her daughter back. Like, yeah. that's the last thing she wants. Yeah. Like, that, that's going to destroy her hope. Like, these girls are like Heisenberg's cat. It's like, there's a lot of yeah. that. But if you make it official and they stamp the orange sticker or whatever the opposite yeah. of the orange would be, that would be a big deal. But there's also this, I guess, this hypocrisy that's been bothering me about John. Because sure. we know John is fine with the – that's something we talked about in the first episode. He's fine with the goat being sacrificed. Uh-huh. He's fine with, fine with his boy selling the water, well, for donation purposes. And and being honest about it, yeah. And he's fine. Like he's tolerating – he knows that his grandfather's or his, I guess, father-in-law is doing some kind of mystical mumbo-jumbo stuff that he's not liking. I'm glad you got the father-in-law thing. That's what I was thinking too. That this they is don't Erica's ever say father. it, but – yeah, I think they hint at it enough because he's he's he clearly got an family, intimate knowledge of her, yeah, uh, of of what she's going through. I think with John, yeah. So, but but, yeah. but the, the hypocrisy of John, where he's doing this for his own purposes, he's and she she said something intriguing about like you hit people because you need to hit people. Yeah, how does a guy like that become a firefighter? Can you be a convicted felon and be a fire? I feel like and I don't, know. don't get me wrong, I have no idea. I wish we lived in a world where you could be a nonviolent felon or, you know, whatever, and you could be a firefighter. But it seems like that's one of those jobs where you need some kind of clearance. And if you've got a conviction, it's like, nope, there's no way. Maybe you can go yeah. fight fires. You can go, like, f- jump into a forest fire or something like that. Oh, you've like got that. felony arson on your record. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, <laughs> let's, we'll, we'll put you – you're expendable. We'll put you on that list. But I don't feel like we live in that world. And I'm, it's, it's kind of bothering me that a man of violent history – with a felony record, would be a small-town firefighter. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know what the rules are on that, so not sure. Maybe – does he actually work – he is still a fireman, yeah? We've actually seen him at the – like, it's not a former fireman, and he still has close bonds with his brothers. It's yeah, – I'm pretty sure we've I seen him at the firefighting house. We have seen him at the firehouse. Uh in what capacity? He's the I'm chief. Not, I think, yeah, I think he's the chief. That's the other thing. He's the god. He's the chief. So I don't think there's a problem uh, with him being a firefighter. He just comes back and they're like, he's the uh, you can't be a firefighter. He's like, who says who? <laughs> and then, yeah, he's, yeah he, said, he said a few people's houses on fire and you're the yeah, fire the, chief the, the all message, of a sudden. The, yeah, you're the chief of fire. <laughs> you are. That's, that's where they're going with this. Yeah, and he gets called out on that during the, the big uh, slideshow here with the goat man. And I, I, I don't know. I kind of lost a lot of respect for the Murphys as a whole, except for Michael. Michael's I was say, Michael seems to be a good bite kid. your tongue. Yeah. Well, uh, why, despite why, what I think about why Erica? Because I felt like Erica came across a lot more sympathetic. But she's enabling the shit out of John. She knows exactly what what he's doing. She when people come in 
hurt because John hurt him. She patches him up and then threatens them and says, don't report this to the cops because if you do, he's going to come calling again. She's totally enabling this guy. I, and she was going to leave him, and that would have been great, but she decided not to after this Evie thing. Well, and it's like also, can you just leave someone that you know is a this kind of violent psychopath, or do you need to, you know, like, Yeah, I mean, maybe you. he'll chase you down like he did Isaac. Well, sure, no, I'm but, not even going that like, but you're still – You've, you've still covered up his illegal activities, and he's still well, walking around. That's what I'm him. saying. That yeah. seems like the morally most upright option to take. Yeah, but, and the fact that she doesn't do that makes me lose some respect for her. But I don't know that you know enough. Like, what it, are there certain things that you'd find out about how she became deaf and, like, what her father did and what – what, Maybe, uh, but those what, are facts I don't have yet. That's so what I'm how saying. am I going to judge any, any other way than what I've seen? I'm withholding judgment until I find out more about this backstory because I, I could see, I could see our. Yeah, this is what this show likes to do. It likes to make yeah. you feel completely unsympathetic towards the character <laughs> and then violently pull your heartstrings back to the other side by filling in some key details you don't know. That's true. That's true. But as it stands right now, uh, I'm I'm not on the Murphy side. On any of them, except for Michael. Michael's a cool guy. Uh, Sweet kid. Uh, this, another random thing I want to talk about with Nora, when he's she's having this conversation with George at Smitty's, which, you know, I I, I really appreciate this, this show's detail with the barbecue joint. Like, that is a fucking barbecue joint. Yeah. They don't have yeah, napkins. They sauces have whole the rolls tables. of bounties and the sauces on the table. Yep. And it's, um, but... He mentions about all the different flags about these girls and how they're not hitting the false ones. And he says the girls had no reason to run. This is at least grim. Do you know that, dude? Well, here's the thing. It's funny because we as the audience see saw all three of these girls running naked and wild and free in the woods. That's true, yeah. Which we have no – like that was inexplicable. Yeah. And he's like they have no reason to run. But like we as the audience like, well, George, they're running. They are running. And also they, – They want to be free, man. Do you remember that one scene where the girls, after they get done with fucking with Doctor Goodhart, who I referred to as Hodor just now, yeah, um, they're 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 blaring music and they pile into the Volkswagen or the Mercedes or whatever they're driving, and they cut to a scene and the music is just dead, and they're just sitting there with like dead expressions on their face. Yeah, that now that I'm thinking like everyone mentions about this music and this music like. Maybe these girls were deliberately putting a front about them being these happy, bubbly, perfect choir girls, and they were up to some deep, dark shit. They're like, there's all these signs yeah, because because be. those are two what he says are flags that the girls should were real departures, and we know that one is lit technically true that they didn't have any reason to run, but literally we know it wasn't true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this thing about the music might be a, a red herring too. I, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Like, we know it more is, about the in universe than her, people do. Now that we found out that her mother was planning to run as well, it's, you know, it gets Yeah, that's the thing. That's, that's another level where it's not even technically true. Like, did Evie know about this? Because another thing we noticed in the first episode is they were having a conversation in sign language about her mom saying, don't worry about it. Just don't worry about it. Yeah. We assume that was John's activities, but maybe Evie has intuited something going on with their relationship and maybe that her mom was getting ready to run. Yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> A lot to this episode. Uh, someone else mentioned on Reddit that this account that Nora's, you know, she's researching this lensing thing and having this one sided conversation with Mary. 
and she talks about this German Brandenburg carousel. Mm-hmm. And she's like, which we all know was something that was actually mentioned in the pilot. Oh, was it? During that big okay. like um, congressional hearing with the scientists and they were peppering with questions. They One of the lines of questions is, what about this Brandenburg carousel or the chef anomaly? So now we the chef anomaly. Yeah, they mentioned the chef anomaly, which they haven't. Mi- who knows what the fuck that is? But they returned to the Brandenburg huh. Carousel. I thought that that would be a real thing, but I did research and I can't find a single mm. article that mentions a carousel in the German town of Brandenburg that is not talking about this show. Yeah, yeah. So it seems like it's something that they've invented. Okay, that uh, makes sense. I mean. I don't know why, but my head immediately goes to the idea that maybe everyone on the carousel was departed. No, that's exactly what I think you're supposed to think. Okay, okay. And like I read, an, job. I read an interview with Perotto where, uh, but Perotto. there's nothing concrete there. So no, or he even said that like that stuff that they do is world building. Like it's not important what happened, but like what when we say the chef anomaly, people might think, oh, well, maybe chefs disappeared at. 0.25% higher rate than non-chefs or uh-huh. you hear a carousel event and you think everybody was riding and poof, they all disappeared. Sure. They don't have to even, but, but by keeping reading to them, it somehow makes the world seem like it's hanging together better. Yeah. It makes it richer when the, there's a, a shared knowledge in the characters. Yeah. Uh, there's another thing that's probably one of these things where I'm reaching or this is just a background detail that doesn't mean anything. But when, Eric is monologuing about the bird, and she says, you know, essentially anything over 20 hours is almost impossible. Or anything over, a bird can survive 20 hours tops. 30 hours is medically impossible. Earlier in the episode, Mar- uh, Nora is slathering sunscreen on Mary, and she says anything higher than 30 is worthless. And she's referring to the SPF. Yeah, which is true, actually. Yeah, well, you sure. Yeah. It's, 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 it's. For all, I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm not gonna argue a technical. I, I did some research yeah, I know, when I started I know, kayaking, I know. and it's it's pretty yeah. much yeah. Yeah, I I like the the heavy duty stuff because it feels like it's thicker and it stays on better. And it's also 99 percent instead of 98 percent. But yeah, for all intents and purposes. Yeah. See, I fucking argued with you. Why did you do this to me, man? <laughs> Two competitors. It's like who won the week? Who won the week? Who won the sunscreen won argument? The sunscreen argument. Yeah. Uh, so thirty is also a kind of a biblically significant number. Both John the Baptist and Jesus Christ were thirty years old when they received their preaching commissions. Jesus mm-hmm. was famously betrayed for thirty pieces of silver by Judas Iscariot. Um, yeah. And now we've got thirty medically impossible, thirty medically insignificant. And also the characters have a similar kind of arc with this guilt thing is, you know, is this more Bible mumbo jumbo? Is this just a thematic thing to tie these two characters together? Do you have any thoughts at all on that coincidence? No, no, I hadn't even made the connection, frankly. Jill had some nice moments in here. She's kind of been lost in the action. We see that she, her relationship with Michael's progressed to the point that they're going to do a date. Mm -hmm. Bummer of a first date. To go with your boyfriend to the memorial slash fundraising to find your sister who's disappeared that you think has departed. That's not a fun time. And also no. that your mom's going to lose her shit at. But she had a couple nice moments. So she's she's getting a little deeper in that relationship there. She had a nice moment with Nora where she came and was like, you know, typical defensive teenage behavior. And Nora just... You know, blue, blue, completely Surprised disarmed her. her. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, 
you know, KO'd her Street Fighter Alpha style, blew her off the stage, but not in a violent way. Just in a that's how hard she completely disarmed Jill with with this thing. Yeah, Jill was prepared for a fight. Nora didn't give it to her, but. I still want to notice the fact that Nora is lying to Jill. She's not being fully honest with her because mm-hmm. Jill's like, hey, what's bothering you? What's eating you? Oh, I'm just tired. Like, those are the, yeah. the, the beginnings of the dishonesty in their relationship that I'm wondering if we're not going to see Jill start flying off the rails towards the end of the season because she's going to r- realize that her dad's crazy and Nora's <laughs> keeping things from her and she doesn't have anyone that she can trust. And, uh-huh. you know, that's kind of like we decided the crux of her issues were last season. Sure. I don't know what they... It's all happening again. Yeah, I don't know what they do with with, with that. Do you want to... I'm, mean, I'm not sure either. I... Michael's not the type to run around kidnapping the baby Jesus. No, definitely not. Uh, that Jesus is staying in the bathtub for sure. Uh, the, the other thing I do want to talk about, though, is their relationship and how kind of... I like how they, they're getting them deeper into this, and you can see that now their families are taking notice of it. And when you take that and you combine it with this idea that John is on a mission to find the man with the, the magical palm print, I, I, ju- I cannot see this working out well. Like, what is John? John's going to flip fly off the handle when he finds out that the man with the handprint on his daughter's car... His daughter is now dating his son. It's. I wonder if he. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly, not going to be cool with that. That's clearly that's that's a big tension in the season. I really like it. I think that's I, one of the I like cruxes it too. But it's like I, for whatever reason, it seems like that's not even on John's radar right now. It's not. No. Um. You know what? Right now, right about now, I wish John or John probably wishes he had an Isaac around. Like, how mm. easy would it be to get people's palm prints? Sure. If you could just say, "Hey, let me uh, let me read your palm, Kevin Garvey." Sure, no problem. Uh, what man? Tell me again what uh, Erica's dad's name is. Virgil. Virgil. Thank yeah. you. I had to look it up too. Why is Virgil? What's up with the pies? It's clearly a kind of a, a cry to for attention. What did Virgil do to the family? I don't. Does know, Does Virgil man. have actual magic powers? Because good question. Now. Granted, if if the story this, the story of Erica's grandma is true, which I have no reason to believe it's not, that would make this man that grandmother's son. So he would be familiar with the family's bird burying legend. Mm-hmm. But it's still pretty remarkable that he would be like, "Do you need any birds?" Like that's really on the nose. Like he's that's three things. He had no way to know that Kevin is dealing with an issue. He had no way to know that Nora had the losses that she had. And he has a very slight chance of knowing what's going on with these birds, but he seems like he's got, much like Kevin's father, some real genuine insight into things unseen. I think you're right. And and I can't explain the first two, and the third one's even shaky. Can, can we rule out the idea that Erica has been talking to him? I think it's apparent after this scene that she, for a long time, has wanted nothing to do with this man. But, you know, in a world of people sleepwalk when they go crazy, <laughs> maybe she's getting up and calling her old man in the, the, the uh, There's, there's the no reason to think that Erica's going crazy and sleepwalking. Maybe Michael is like Michael been following her and she, he's been telling. Potentially. Potentially. That's what I'm saying. Like I There wonder, are outs. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. 
I'm trying to think of all the ways that they could spin this cleverly. I could see a, yeah. a scenario where Michael's been following her on her bike and and looking at the box, and maybe he even swapped the bird out. That'll be the real cosmic joke. Oh, God. He found the dead bird. Uh, I, I don't know why he would do that. Or maybe John's doing it. Or maybe Virgil's the one following her, and he's doing it to fuck with her. Like, But he doesn't <laughs> seem like he's unkind. No, he doesn't. And I'm thinking, like, so Erica went – she wasn't born deaf. We know that. Uh-huh. We know that everyone's pissed off at Virgil. Do you think Virgil was, like, drunk behind the wheel and she was in the car and this is, like, a result of an injury from a car accident? I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to think what you could be this justifiably upset with your father for. And, like, I don't think Virgil yeah. molested her or her kids. I'm trying to think what else he – what kind of crimes can the father do to make you that mad at him that late in life? That's a good question. And we have no idea at this point. I, I don't know that you can even really speculate. And I know people but, get, but I agree. People I also get time. mad and st- and stop talking to your family for bullshit, stupid reasons too, oh, all the yeah. time. But I, I don't get the, <laughs> I don't get that that Eric is that type of person, mm-hmm. a petty person. Like yeah, if, if there's some know. real beef here, it feels like it's substantial. Indeed, yeah. Uh, I, I I really love just going back to Nor real quick. I, I love this look on kevin's face as she's grabbing the uh the questionnaire out of oh the, it's it's the it's, briefcase it's so funny it's like what the what are you Ke- doing kevin's okay. like i'm the crazy one what and then yeah and he's got to just go along with it oh, well, what's he going to do she handcuffs yeah. him to bed every night right right it's clear who's controlling this relationship <laughs> well, no, that was like i cannot you roll with so many of my punches that, right yeah who am i to be like this You're gonna is raise unacceptable behavior <laughs> unacceptable behavior <laughs> That's true, especially when he's looking like half past this briefcase and probably seeing Patty. So, what do you think about Matt winning over the the degenerates in the little hippie camp thing? I was super excited to see that Matt was out of the stocks. Frankly, like I didn't expect him to deal with it that quickly, and he got out of it by just refusing to let anyone take his place. Like, how many times do you think it's not one refusal? He was asking for forgiveness, right? And that's what Michael says. You know, anybody who asks for it deserves it. So, why did he get out of the stocks? Why is he still in the stocks? I, I think they let him out of the stocks because he refused. But why would he be? Why would he accept that mercy? Be, he didn't want anybody else to to be. But up what there. I'm saying is, maybe he felt that he he had been forgiven at that point. Uh, like if they're gonna if they're going to voluntarily let me out, yes, I'm like going the to only do. way I'll come out of here is if you say that you'll never put someone in stocks again. Yeah, hmm, interesting. Maybe, I wonder how I mean, this is going like to come Jesus up later. Because, right? Providing salvation for others. And I feel like that this is the type of show that are going to invert this storyline. Like right now it's a heartwarming. Oh, he through self-sacrifice and suffering, you bred compassion, which as Nora yeah. kind of hilarious points out, nobody does that like you, Matt. <laughs> Next week it's an angry topless mob. Well, rush, rushing miracle. We saw the fruits of his philanthropy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> what the hell? We saw the fruits of that last season, and it was Armageddon to Mapleton. Yeah. Like, this guy could fuck with these people and get a following for himself and charge the gates a miracle. Maybe go after John? Take take a little self-righteous, a little righteous thunder to John's doorstep, maybe. Mm-hmm. If he's actually angry. I, I'm not sure, though. There, there's a big thing we need to talk about. Michael's conversation with Erica about deserving forgiveness and, you know, hoisting her on her own Christian petard. <laughs> sure. Let's talk about that scene. There's another one. But, yeah. And that's a good one. I, I don't know that there's anything I have more to add except for 
I, just boom. Like, yeah. If you're gonna spout a bunch of forgiveness bullshit, yeah. I'm not saying it's necessarily bullshit. No, yeah. I, this is like, she's dumping it. Don't be on too him. glib with concepts of mercy and forgiveness. You know, you, you got you gotta be expecting a little bit of it back. And I was super happy to see Michael throw that back in her face. Sure. Uh, the thing I was talking about is Lori oh, calling yes. uh, Nora. What the hell? What? Where is Tom gone? What is Tom up to? Well, you know, I I actually got really excited yesterday because I was reading some of the threads and people were like, oh, you know, the way they've kind of interleaved the, the time. Yeah. This is she's calling while Matt is abducted and being raped by Meg. And like, you know, this is tying the two timelines together. I'm sorry. Matt is never abducted and raped by Meg. Yes. That would be weird. Difficult to achieve from that distance. Yeah. It would put less ambiguity in the whole rape issue when it comes to the Matt. But yeah. No, you're (laughs) Tommy. Tommy's abducted. But then it was quickly pointed out that, in fact, uh, Lori never knew that Tom was gone. Yeah. Yeah. So she wouldn't be calling, and also that Lori never huh. smoked during that timeline either. So this is okay. clearly after – this is after the hug scene. Something's gone terribly wrong that she feels responsible for and that he's gone. Huh. And also that yeah. – odd that Nora didn't mention this to Kevin. Well, it may come up. She had pressing concerns of her. I, I get it. That's just like you know, she that they're both a little distracted by everything going on. Like Kevin's forgetting babies, and she's yeah, forgetting to tell her that one of his sons is missing, uh-huh. or his son is missing. It's not you know, but he he considers him his son. Sure, step-son, he's his adoptive whatever. stepfather. He's a son. Yeah, I'm not gonna. Yeah, it's, it's, it's disrespect to adoptive parents. Um, yeah, I I don't know what this. I, I don't know what's going on there. I don't either, but it's super intriguing, and I can't wait to find out what the hell is happening. Another little nice moment about uh, of tying into season one is Nora balking at the whole PayPal. Do you have a PayPal? And she kind of like blinked because she didn't have a PayPal account until Holy Wayne. She had to pay. Uh-huh. That was a neat, neat little callback too. Huh. Uh, yeah. I also liked the way when she was asking the question about contact lenses, she like the word lens caught in the back of her throat. Yep. Like it's you know and and this is a whole. Do you want to talk about the let's let's I, I, there's a couple more things to say about this interrogation. Uh, I want to talk okay. about the 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 goat sacrifice and how that yeah. scene played out. Um, I mean, they they start with the saddest choir, and I thought it was a deliberate choice that the choir did not sound nearly as good without Evie and her friends in it. Like it's almost like a, it went from happy Andrew Lloyd Webber, Tim Rice show tune to like almost a dirge. Okay. And I thought that was intentional. And also these girls, when they're showing these pictures with the music and they're all just so super cute and wholesome and photogenic, I'm starting to tear up and I don't even, I know these people are fictional uh, and they're not even real people. Um, but then Jerry comes into the goats and she gives this heartfelt speech, was that which is both moving and touching, but also kind of hilarious. Like this is a this is a scene in speech that would go be equally as home on like Seinfeld or uh, <laughs> Always Sunny. Okay, like D could give this speech. No, Jerry. No, with the go like, but yeah. Did, did, did am I the am I the only crazy person that thought this was also kind of darkly funny? No, I... Especially how mortified the goat guy was. Like, he's this dude that's, I guess, cruel to animals. Like, they didn't make it seem like as a farmer. He was just... He was in jail 
for what he did to this goat. That's right. And they let him out because they thought maybe he was saving the town. And you can tell some of the townspeople are kind of at least, you know, whether they're whistling past a graveyard or walking around the ladder instead of under it, they're yeah. kind of superstitious about it. And she just. They are. They're like, just let tired, him do it. Tired of their bullshit and tired of her husband's hypocrisy. So, speaking of hypocrisy, is there any hypocrisy in the idea that she does not want this man sacrificing goats, where she is dragging birds out to the woods to bury in a box, well, hoping that her wishes come true? Don't you think true? this is frustration of her own behavior? Sure. There are a lot of mirrors being like, held like up this in this is episode. Just, just like Nora was both denying and projecting her own guilt yeah. onto Erica, uh-huh. Erica is kind of doing the same thing with poor Jerry here. Yes. And all Jerry wants to do is cut goats. Man, just let the man cut. I mean, he can cut him in the parking lot, right? Yeah, let him do why does it. He need to, why does he need to come in and do it in a building? I, I think he's crazy. This is a cry for attention. Like, oh, he's a disturbed okay. individual, but he's now yeah. it, it's like just like John C. Riley yourself. up on the pillar, which I can't wait to find out about his bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he's... He's damaged goods. Well, I shit in a bucket the day that's right. <laughs> the departure happened. I'm going to keep shitting in a bucket. Yeah, I had a dream about being on a pillar, and then we woke up, and everybody's safe. So Yeah. But no, like even the way that Jerry's face was filmed, I thought it was a little bit funny. It was a fun, funny scene to me. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, can, we, can we call it case closed on whether or not Patty is real? 100% guaranteed she is not real. She is a figment of of uh, Why do you Kevin's imagination. Because he's seeing her in that scene. Nora asks him, are you seeing her right now? He says, yes, absolutely. She's not seeing well, him. No, We're not seeing of her. Of course she's not flesh and blood. We saw her die and her body be buried and then recovered. But real means a whole lot more in this universe than it does you know in in our rational so. one because she could be a spirit or a ghost or a authentic demon or whatever and nora still not be able to see her for whatever reason yeah i guess so so it's like no unfortunately just like we can't rule out that the voices in kevin's dad's kevin senior's head are are real or fake or whatever yeah like I, i'm i'm with you i mean it, it seems to me pretty clear that the this is some kind of internalized repressed inner self of his as as a split personality especially given the timing of when she comes into the picture uh you know he's feeling guilty about this whole family thing that he's got going uh and cheating on his wife and all that stuff then the departure happens and then as soon as he gets a new family he starts feeling super guilty and seeing uh, Patty, who's telling him, you don't love your family and you want to kill yourself. Yeah. Like, that's not a coincidence, the timing of it. Yeah. So that's that leads to the final ten minutes of the episode. We talked a little bit about Nora and Erica and their epic showdown. Yeah. The one thing we haven't talked about is the eyelash. Oh, my God, the eyelash. This was almost physically <laughs> painful to, to me and Ceci sitting on the couch watching this. We're like, we're like yeah. what is this? Oh, my God. It's like... Clearly, the director of photography in that kind of close-up, that's that's there deliberately, and the the you reason certainly can't miss that eyelash. The yeah. reason I say it is because you know what do you associate eyelashes with? Uh, cry? I don't know. You, eyelashes? You, you 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 pick them up and you blow them off your finger and you make oh, a wish. Like some people do. It's, sure. it's another one of these like you know on a star birthday candle buried bird. That's it's the more well-known. Sure. Bird burying box ritual. Yeah, yeah. But it's there, and I feel like that's deliberately showing that 
an, another further unification of, of wow. Nora and Erica. I can't and their wish fulfillment. So I saw it instantly, and I was fixated on it. I could not take my eyes off of it, and it almost kind of disrupted that scene for me. I can't imagine that as a, as a DP of photography or a director, you're not looking at that going, we need to get that eye, eyelash off her face, unless it's there intentionally, like you said. And I, I think it's not just a wish thing, but I also think that it works on, like, the, you know, Jeroba or whatever, uh, Rehoboth. 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 Robobeth. Robobeth. She's coming to season seven, The Walking Dead. <laughs> Robot chicken style. Do you think that... Part of the, like, yes, we were uncomfortable because, like, if I was sitting across from you and you had a fucking eyelash on your cheek, mm-hmm. I'd be like, let me get that from you. Or let me get the, like, you got something caught in. Not because I care about you, but it's you got, annoying You got a me. bat in your cave yeah. or you got some mustard on your shirt. You That's something you say to people. But the fact that Erica just stonewalled her, like, that's, that bothers us because if we were sitting across from her, that's what we would do and Erica's not. And you just keep cutting back to that giant yeah. eyelash and it makes us physically uncomfortable uh-huh. so it's the wish thing it's the physical and emotional discomfort of the scene like i feel like it's all <laughs> there and intentional like all those thoughts they wanted you to have and they sat about in the editing room and like that's exactly what people are gonna it's that eyelash is driving me crazy yeah like i'm uh, getting I, one one hundredth of what kevin and nora are dealing with in this universe you know i would love if if i could pose one question to lindelof this is the question it would be was that intentional? Was the eyelash intentional? Because it's it bothered me so much in this scene. But I would love to know what all dimensions he thought of. Yeah. Like, was it the wish thing? Was it the physical uncomfort? Is there some other thing that I didn't know? Or was this an accident yeah. that you guys – like, that's the other thing. Was this in a script? Or was this something you noticed in the close-up? And like, no, no, leave it there. Yeah, that would be – that'd be a hotline of uh, – they hear that step in wall? I know you're going to talk to him after the season. Yeah, do it. Well, I'm gonna send. In, I'm question. gonna send in a message and see if he uh, will 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 ask that for me. Uh, the other thing I picked up on this, on in this scene after I realized, oh yeah, okay, so the she's in denial and they're both kind of they got the same thing going on in their head here about these wishes. Is you combine that with the idea that they're throwing rocks through windows and and the saying people in glass houses shouldn't yep. throw rocks. Yep. Well, guess who's in a fucking glass house? Sure. In a glass case glass. of emotion here. It's Nora and it's Erica, and they're both throwing rocks in this scene because they're lashing out at their own vulnerabilities. Well, that's the other thing is that, yes, it's the glass houses, but I think that's a, 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 another etymology of that saying is that there's a possibly apocryphal story of Jesus where, you know, the rabbis are like, hey, we got this woman who maybe committed uh, fornication. What should we do with her? Like wanting to see if he'll stone her or not. And he says he who is out without sin should cast a first stone. Ah, and then okay. one by one, the yeah, rabbis yeah. and Pharisees are like, uh, he's got us. He's got us. Drop your rocks and slink off. Yeah. So he who and then has, there's that one asshole who throws a rock and then it just all goes downhill. No. It's kind of funny that like that also works that too because these these people are both in their own minds full of guilt and sin and yes. they're hurling stones. Uh huh. I yeah. like it. Uh, so let's talk about the final scene. I just want to talk about how Justin Thoreau is like, hey, 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 yeah, yeah. These girls <laughs> need Emmys, but I need Emmys too because yes, I do. He's incredible <laughs> the way he's acting. You know, and we got a little bit of that in the second episode where he started going to confession mode, but he's in full, like, I'm scared of the things that I'm saying. And you're asking questions that increase the terror level. Like, I was really, I, I was, 
dreading that when we're eventually going to cut to Nora and we're going to see Patty standing right beside her, like screaming into her ear or like <laughs> acting some, you know, doing something crazy. And we didn't no. get that, but that was a little bit of like the tension on my side. Mm-hmm. Oh man. I, it's yeah. And I imagine how badly this could have gone with a lesser performance right oh, sure. after that scene. <laughs> how bad a lot of this stuff could have gone. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I mean that, that scene between Regina King and Carrie Coon is, Without those actresses, how I, do you whip them up into that too? Like, and how what do you was go, it like filming that day? Sure. How many takes? Like, are they crying all day? Are they that intense for hours of, at a time? Yeah. And also writing that scene. Like, you write that scene. You go, is this particularly exciting? Is this going to be as intense as we think it is? Yeah. Well, you don't know until you get on set and say, go to work. Like, you got to see these people's lips trembling and their nostrils flaring and their eyes twitching and yeah. or, or just staring there like a badass. Like, and without that, I don't think the scene has nearly the same impact. They, and it's like, they have a lot of faith in their directors and actors. Because they do. That's, they do. this is like one of those things where, you know, actors can elevate writing and writing can really give actors good material. But here it's like it's a high wire act where everyone's got to do their job right or this shit just yeah no safety net you fall screaming and you know you do that's it you got the origin story of robin and also i think justin thoreau's moment was stepped on a little bit by this fantastic scene before it well like i couldn't get that out of my head i was just like wow also super paris to see that like motion from the side of your eye and then it kind of focuses and erica throwing that thing right through there like Uh it's pretty pretty powerful Yep. Um, no, I, man, I, what did you think about Patty's opinion that, because she's kind of been ribbing him about, oh, you're so honest and you love this woman so much, but you won't tell her shit. And now he finally tells her and it's like, oh, you've made a mistake now, Kevin. Blah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Is that a threat? I don't know. Is it more evidence that that's, that is purely a figment of his imagination because she is not particularly prophetic or she's not internally consistent. It's just, you know, she is the day to day moment to moment worry that Kevin's got in in his mind. Man, I don't know if there's anything they can do to sway someone's opinion now on whether or not she's a figment of his imagination. Like how, how do you do that? How do you say, no, in fact, she's a demon. Or if, in fact, she is in his head. I think you've made your mind up, and that's yeah. Kind of the I mean, way they could going. they p- could put their thumb on one scale or the other by showing her absolutely make a prediction that you can't argue that anyone could possibly know and it be true. Like, there's a lot of I like so. evidences that we've had people email in. It's like, well, how would jo- uh, how would uh, Kevin know her husband's name, Neil? How uh-huh. would this like, and and how would she know that the car is up there? You can make arguments of. You know, yeah. maybe he would would know those things or, you know, like someone wrote in after the fact saying, well, maybe, you know, Kevin, once she became the leader of the cult, he started pulling her old police reports and he started researching more, more information about her. And I, I, I could see I, I there's 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 little things. So if they could do that. I don't think they're going to because this is not the show that they're yeah. and I'm continue to be fine with that. I got to ask you one last question. At least that's the last question I've got. Uh, what do you think, man? Did the girls depart or not? <laughs> I feel the first time I watched this show, I hmm. thought that I was pretty sure that like, or I wasn't sure, but I'm like, I was open to the, to the possibility that the girls departed by the end of the, the time I've, by the, 
the end of all the watches I've done, I'm now convinced that no, they these girls bugged out deliberately. I mean, there are a couple of options. It's it's not in either or here. Um, they could have been sucked into wherever this water went and just killed. But that's uh, not the part. I'm I'm actually. Did they get suddenly parted? Uh, that is a binary question. They either did or they didn't. Sure, yeah, sure, sure. You're, you're right. There's if they didn't get departed, there's a bunch of things they could have ran yeah, away. They could. Yeah. I think they ran away. I mean, they could have accidentally locked their keys in the car and started walking back toward town and been abducted. Like there, there are so many things that could have happened to them. But the question: Did they or didn't they get departed? Mm-hmm. Lifted, lifted by the the terms of this episode. Uh, thieves across the nation decrying the term lifted for that use. They, they want it. It's their word. Uh, I, I mean, my head takes me to no. Th- that's naturally where I reflexively go mm-hmm. is no. And But I'm not sure. Is, I'm, I'm really shaky on that. Is Tommy departed? Nah. Okay. I think Tommy's probably more likely to be off on a mission of some kind. I don't think these girls are departed. I, I My... My theory is that they staged it to look like a disappearance, and coincidentally, uh, the earthquake came later that night. Now, you I also, make some good points with them running through the woods and wanting to be free and all this stuff. So. I also think that there's another theory, and I'm not sure if someone emailed it in, uh, and I hope not because I'm stepping on their toes, um, that possibly the girls were there. Maybe they're getting ready to go back home. And they saw a man stumbling towards the water with a cinder block in their hand. They went to go intervene, and then the earthquake happened, and Kevin didn't get sucked in because he's got the cinder block tied around his sure. ankle. The girls were trying to swim out to get him, and they got sucked right in. I think that's a pretty likely explanation. That would be interesting. Frankly. Although, that the would locked be car too. is a weird one, right? They would have had to accidentally have locked their keys in their car as well. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, there's a little coincidence a pretty... required there. Yeah. Okay. But I, I still like the fact that they dis, they they don't know why. Yeah. Because you know they're they're just as bothered by Jill was. La- I mean, you know, we've seen these these people in their own way hurt, and they hurt different ways. I think these girls were hurting, and you know, this with this being in the choir, but running naked through the, there was they they decided they had enough. They wanted to get out. So okay. And also, you know, this theme's been about fake departures. Had cousin Larry. It's true. Oh, speaking of Cousin Larry. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Seppenwall, in his review, wrote a little something about that and how it factors into this idea of wishing people away or being a lens. Does it? Yeah. Yeah. So if you say, okay, this Mark Lynn guy or Mark Lynn Baker uh, is the only guy who didn't depart, what must he have thought of the rest of the cast? Like, that he would be wishing them away at that very moment. Right. It kind of spins a dark reality on their relationship, (laughs) his relationship with the rest of the cast. Well, maybe he'll write a Tell All Perfect Strangers book. I would love that. I would actually love that in real life. I would, too. Just to read a Perfect Strangers uh, biography. I'd like to read a Tell All for all the, uh, you know, ABC, TGIF stuff. Bob Saget would be an interesting one. Yeah. Hey, real quick, a call to action. It's getting close to the holidays, and what's the worst thing, what's the most stressful thing about the holidays, Jim? Uh, Having to see your family. Wrong. Damn it. Uh, Explaining to people why you're not doing anything for the holidays. Wrong. This is starting to get sad, too. (laughs) I know. Hey, man, that's such is my life. Uh, 
Shopping? Yeah, there we go. Going out because it's a madhouse out there. Oh, After Thanksgiving, shop. especially, it's it's crazy. Back Black Friday is going to be upon us. Yeah, you know what I've done to just bypass all that and no. make make my my holidays less stressful. Uh, re- gotten rid of all your friends. No, stop it. <laughs> I, I, I'm shopping on Amazon, and you can use the Bald Move link at Amazon.BaldMove.com. Uh-huh. And what's great about that is it just it just loads your cart with with uh, Christmas cheer and love and also money. Uh, for us, and it goes it's right super to us. convenient for it, you. It's really convenient. Like it, you know, they got great selection. They got awesome prices. Uh, free shipping, two day shipping, even. So you can get really lazy last minute. This, if you want, yeah. If you're a Prime member, if sure. you're a Prime member, uh, or if you want to pay a little bit more for your shipping, you can get the same service on an ad hoc basis. But mm-hmm. the important thing is Amazon.BaldMove.com. Use that link. It takes you right to Amazon, and Bob's your uncle. You're shopping with style, and you're, you're you're supporting independent podcasting, and all you international folks can go to support.baldmove.com because that Amazon thing is like a U.S. Am, the Amazon Bald Moves U.S. only, but we've got like a bunch of different international stores. If you want to support us through that way, we'd, uh, mm-hmm. we'd appreciate it. And every you know month or two, we get a, a check from Amazon and Deutschmarks. It's fun. We go to the <laughs> bank, and the bank's like, "Why are you giving us this international currency?" Yeah. And, we just have big smiles and we slide it across the counter and a couple of weeks go by and they somehow grind the Deutschmarks in the U.S. dollars or the mm-hmm. euros and we get credit in our account and it works out great. It's awesome. Amazon.baldmove.com. If you'd like to send us feedback, you can do so at leftovers at baldmove.com or on following, oh, Jesus, on forums, the leftovers on forums.baldmove.com. Leftovers at baldmove.com, forums.baldmove.com. Yep. Uh, first things first, Ron S. said, At the beginning of Off-Ramp, I was spoiled that there would be a rape depicted by the warning labels. Rape, nudity, violence, etc. And yeah. this week's episode, which is last week's episode, No Room at the Inn, I noticed there was no rape warning. Is that enough to confirm that Matt and Mary were consensual, or is this day, in, in this day and age of highly sensitive TV warnings? No, you never see it. Yeah, I feel like the rape is for a depiction of. Yeah. A, discussion of a previous one or an allusion to it it's it's more of like you're about to see a graphic depiction it probably had like an adult themes warning mature themes maybe yeah. or something like that yeah, yeah yeah but it's like rape is like you're actually seeing it hearing it something yeah. like that um but uh, for one minute i'm like ooh, that's actually an interesting point like but then mm-hmm. also like just because you know I, i'll argue that just because the creators would say one thing doesn't mean that we the viewers or as as citizens have to think the same thing. Okay. Uh, Kay from L.A. said, You guys noticed the gate to Miracle looking very similar to the gate to Auschwitz. This is way back in episode two, I believe. Mm-hmm. But you don't talk about the meaning of the German words that were above the gate. Um, these words were stuff that I'm not going to pronounce. Um, <laughs> but they What about trans- your German heritage, man? You know, I... It's mock free, I believe. I don't know what the first word. Arbeit, arb, arbet. I, I certainly don't know. Yeah, no. I, I you speak, speak some Italian for us sometimes. No, I can't. <laughs> I can't. Uh, anyway, the words on the gates, which translate to "work makes you free" or "work will make you free." Uh, I've been thinking about this a lot. This clearly seemed to me a mindfuck from the Nazis, uh, doing to folks that were brought there, giving them false hope of working to get out to keep the masses from rising up together. Honestly, that's what I've always assumed it was about. It was essentially like the holding out a promise that if you work hard, you can earn your freedom. In reality, we're going to work you to death or kill you. 
so much of what the Nazis did was slow and calculated and drenched in mindfuckery and propaganda they could build to their horrific crimes slowly by keeping people from clearly seeing their end games. But I read an article that included an interview with the Nazi who wrote the phrase and had it put in multiple camps. Hmm. He didn't think of it as propaganda or that they were fooling anyone. Instead, he said Nazis meant they believed prisoners would be working there towards a different idea of freedom. Almost like the freedom of giving themselves over to the truth that they are inferior and deserve to be there, fulfilling their rightful purpose in the Nazis' opinion. That's even darker. Very Orwellian <laughs> yeah. turn of the phrase, which, you know, they're Nazis. I believe that. <laughs> Uh, Kay concludes, I'm interested at the end of the season to see if these different perspectives on the meaning of the gate will have parallels to the story of Miracle. Who is controlling things there, and to why, and to what end? Would love to hear your thoughts on this idea of parallels to the meaning of Auschwitz Gate and the Miracle Gate. I don't have any thoughts, except for I want to point out that this is in relation to the fact that this is a federal institution. This is a, a national park. And... Mm-hmm. You know, I've always thought that, like, man, it's really hard to understand this whole concept of miracle, the national park. But if you want to draw a fence around people and monitor people's comings and goings and track them and gather data and do some nefari- possibly nefarious research on them, that'd be pretty good cover. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't see why not. Uh, you have any other thoughts on that? No. Moving on to Crystal, she says, I thought maybe you can help me to see if this is even a possibility because I don't remember clearly what exactly was wrong with Matt as a child or even what possibilities. Oh, this, this doesn't make sense. And I always forget to put the subject line, but the subject line is Matt's cancer. Yeah. Thought maybe you can help me to see if this is even a possibility because I don't clearly remember the details and what exactly is wrong with Matt as a child or even what the possibilities of his childhood leukemia coming back in adulthood. But we do know that he had some kind of cancer as a child and that the day of the departure, he was coming back from the doctor celebrating that he was still in remission and did not have it again. Time had passed since then, and he has been very busy taking care of his wife in the church. What do you think his chances are of him taking himself to the doctor when his wife needs such medical care? Is it possible that it has come back and perhaps spread to his brain? Again, I'm not sure of the type of cancer, but my mother died of lung cancer that had metastasized through her brain, causing brain tumors. She had some strange behavior before she was diagnosed and even had hallucinations. He seems overall to be pretty healthy. He did a lot of running around in last episode and climbing ladders. Uh, but he seems like the type who would walk through fire for his wife and his God. So maybe he's just ignoring his own pain and fatigue. Jim Jones, do you think that Doctor Who has gotten cancer? Uh, that that's explaining I think they the... would. I think they would have put uh, some scaffolding in place for that reveal. I, I mean, maybe they did back in season one, but it's been so long that they would have to hand it to that before they. Well, he was just getting regular brought out the big guns. to make sure it wasn't coming back. So. That was a long time ago is what I'm saying as far as the years, story anyway. of this. All right. So there's another. So here's the one-two punch. Another mm. viewer, Donald K, sent in a link because we talked about, like, you know, how birth – not birth control. Uh, uh, pregnancy tests are essentially infallible. Like, they're very, very accurate at detecting these markers and whatnot. It's uh, the interpretation that's yes. open to he interpretation. Sent <laughs> he sent me a link at this pregnancy technology site that talks about four different ways that a pregnancy test can be fooled, like why you would have these uh, HCG markers if you didn't have it. The first one was a biochemical pregnancy, which that's essentially you were pregnant, but you know because a lot of pregnancies self-terminate mm-hmm. uh, and miscarry, 
that the woman you can still have those markers in your body even though you're not pregnant any longer. So that's not a false pregnancy. That's just you're you don't have a a, a a fetus inside you. It's just it's still left over because it hasn't cleared out all the hormones. Yeah. So we talked about the chemical pregnancy. The other thing was a pituitary false positive because uh, especially in older women, the pituitary gland uh, gland rather produces this HCG hormone and. Um, it's more commonly detected in women greater than 55 years of age, but can be detected in women as young as 41 years. There's also something about antibodies that certain diseases or illnesses can trigger this effect and that the doctors don't know the very rare interactions that that could cause a false positive. The mm-hmm. final reason was malignancy. It says cancer cells sometimes make HCG. Uh, while many different types mm-hmm. of cancer have been known to make the hormone, it's most commonly associated with the gestational tropolactic diseases and certain types of germ cell tumors of the testes. Uh, so obviously okay, with testes and yeah. men, that's not going to be associated, but with the other, with, with, with the other uh, person writing in and asking us about this cancer angle, it would be much more the leftover style for Matt to get a clean bill of hand, can, uh, of health and his wife to have contracted cancer. Testicle during, cancer. Well, not testicle cancer. <laughs> shut up uh, but this other type okay. of cancer that women can get that uh-huh. would make him think she's pregnant but actually she's just got terminal cancer yeah no that would be that's the, interesting. The exact kind of gifted the magi level of irony that this show loves to wallow in yeah and that's you know the, this idea that it might not be a pregnancy might be a misinterpretation was exactly what i was getting at last episode yep uh brian from jupiter florida says, I thought that I'd just email in to share my theory as to why Matt went and took the guy's place in the stocks. As you guys point out, Matt is a true believer because of this. I don't think he's doing it because he feels bad about raping his wife because he is convinced she is awake. Instead, I think he took the man's place to repent for denying God's miracle, a.k.a. his wife's pregnancy and recovery. Matt denied that to the doctors that his wife conditioned to change at all. He also denied the pregnancy to John when physically intimidated. I view this as similar to the denial of St. Peter in the Bible. Yes, okay. And he goes, although I'm not quite sure off the top of my head that there's a third Matt denial like in the Gospel of Luke. So if you're not familiar with this, on the night of Jesus' trial, Peter was hanging around with outside the courtroom trying to hear if you know his Lord and Savior is going to be executed. And people started to recognize him because he's the guy that hangs around in Jesus. It's like, you're the guy that hangs around in Jesus. He's like, no, I'm not. Yeah. And people ask him three times, which Jesus had foretold that you'll deny me three times this night before a cock crows. On the third one, he's like heated, like, fuck off. I don't know this Jesus guy. And he like, got heated and started swearing oaths. And then the cock crowed and he went off weeping because look at him. What an asshole. I just had a realization. I assume that everyone knows that story. I know, but I... Because of how ingrained it is <laughs> in my yeah, childhood. Yeah. But you're right. You're right. I, we need to explain this stuff. Yeah. Um, so if, if he denied it a third time, and I'm like, I'm trying to stretch my brain to think if he did it again, or maybe he will in the future. But that's an interesting symmetry, too. It is, and I think it's a better explanation for why he he does what he does. I agree. the last episode. Agreed. Jake from Tallahassee says, look, I'm on board with Lindelof. I love the mystery. But this is the first gotcha episode that I felt like the rug has been pulled out from under me. The title lens and a lot of Nora's plot revolve around an inconsequential red herring. The lens concept <laughs> was awesome and a potential game changer, but nope, it's just some demon thing that turns out to be an extended prank call. Gotta call bullshit on that. It's like having an episode called Handprint, 
only to find out that Kevin's handprint on the car is inconclusive. Am I alone here, or is that the weakest episode in an otherwise great series? Well, we got to separate two things. Obviously, we think this is not the weakest episode. <laughs> but two, does he have a point about the lens thing? Well, so I mean, there are there are multiple lenses here. I, I think I don't I don't know that it has to be that literal that she is the lens. It could also just be you know focusing that lens on herself and Erica and like there are a lot of lenses through which you see yourself and want to see yourself. Yeah, uh, you know, as someone who. Uh, was raised in the religion, just assuming that everyone knows the story of Peter. Exactly. <laughs> I've had that lens pulled from my vision now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I can see why maybe you felt duped. I think you're a little bit... I can see it. Uh, here's the thing. So, like, just because these demonologists are studying stuff, does that mean that the lens theory is all quackery? For example... yeah. There's people that say contrails are government chemicals that are being sprayed to keep a sheep. And there's also scientists that did a study after 9-11 when there's, you know, continental air flight banned. And they actually said, like, the ground was warmer by an average 0.01% because those the contrails block a fraction of the sun's – and they are able to measure that. Sure. Those people studying contrails have nothing to do with the people saying that the contrails are sprayed by the government. And I'm not going to get into the factuality of that. I'm just sure. saying that, like – that could you, you could say the one is the the person saying oh lenses are the physical manifestation of the demon Azrael and ones are like this is a legitimate scientific inquiry that we have theories on and we're actually testing to see mm-hmm. and honestly what would you put the demon Azrael in in this universe that's the other <laughs> big question sure if you're willing to believe that Patty's a demon why couldn't Azrael be real yeah yeah like we're still juries out on this science fiction world about what how much supernatural and religious things can we dismiss and how much do we dismiss at our peril? Sure. So I wouldn't get too, too worried there, Jake. Um, but we'll see. Melody H says, I don't know if this is anything, but it struck me in this episode that both John and Eric are somewhat incapacitated at night. We've been shown that Eric takes out her hearing aids at night and John sleeps so soundly that not even a rock thrown through his window will wake him. What also seems that Erica can hear... It's also not the dead of night. This is like pre-dawn. So, like, you'd think he would be kind of primed to wake up in the, you know, morning. Like, if it's 3 o'clock in the morning, then okay, whatever. Yeah, in the middle of a, a rim cycle. Not super late, early, whatever. Melody continues, While it seems that Erica can hear some sounds without her aids, she also did not hear the rock thrown through the window. I don't know what to make of this, but one thought I had is that Evie has perhaps been sneaking into and out of her parents' room at night and swiping... Potentially swiping some of Erica's cash in preparation for a fake departure runaway. It seems possible something strange happened in the Murphy's house the night that the parents uh, may not be aware of. I don't know about the stealing cash, but that's that's interesting. That if if John is like a complete zombie at night and her mom can't hear, how do we know that she's a good girl that's not been doing weird stuff? So what I immediately thought is he wasn't in the house when it happened. Ah, he was off busting up Hodor, maybe. Maybe so. Like, I'm I'm wondering where, in fact, he was. If And maybe huh. the, he was covering up the fact that he was gone. Good thought. But, but, yeah, also, that's interesting to think that maybe there's some shit happening at night yeah. they don't know about. Uh, secondly, two different lines of dialogue have alluded to the f- idea that the missing girl's car was in motion when they disappeared. When Patty told Kevin that the girls departed, she said something along the lines that the car was moving right along, and then poof! They were gone. In tonight's episode, Freddie Rumson mentions that 
if you're not a Mad Men fan, that's George, the researcher, <laughs> uh-huh. the guy that peed his pants this episode. Uh, the Mercedes was found as if someone's foot was just on the gas pedal. The car was found maybe 30 or 40 feet from the edge of the lake. If the car was in motion, even accelerating, my only conclusion is that the girls were deliberately driving into the lake. Is it possible the girls were suicidal? The strange scene of the girls sprinting naked through the woods could maybe tie into this idea. Something Kevin's maybe uh, something saved Kevin from suicide. Did something try and maybe fail to save the girls as well? Hmm. I don't know. I I caught on to that too. Like, yeah, if your foot's just off the gas, then the car rolling. rolled to a stop. Was it in gear? Was it a stick shift? And it was in neutral. Like, what the fuck? What stopped the car? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it was, seemed to be parked yeah. when we saw it. Yeah, so I, I I don't know. The other thing is I really like the symmetry between t- Kevin's life being saved and their lives being taken. I, I don't, oh, sure. I don't know that there's anything to it or any reason for me to like it other than it feels very balanced and interesting thematically. But, yeah, I, I don't know. This cinder block around his leg could could be the thing he's trying to use to kill himself and also the thing that saves him from being killed by the thing that saves him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Sure. It's weird. Barry C., question for you. Do you feel any closer to feeling that you understand John's quote-unquote extreme atheism? Not why he is clearly an atheist, but why he takes it to the extremes he does, going as far as beating people up and setting fire to their house. It felt like we got the first hints of this episode with A, Erica's story about her grandmother and birds, and B, the revelation that it was the preacher man, father-in-law, question mark, that he went to jail for almost killing. It strikes me that this will uncover where his Richard Dawkins meets Charles Bronson persona comes from. Where do you guys stand on that? <laughs> Number one, I don't know that you can say that John is an extreme atheist. He could still believe in God and just not truck with any nonsense in town. That's true. Well, uh, miracles aren't necessarily a product of yes a specific god. Especially I guess. since he's he's talking about flim flam. His his yeah, problem he's, is flim his, flam. His problem is taking advantage of people and graft. Although not necessarily, there's some blind spots in that. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm maybe something Virgil did had something to do with religion, like whatever bad thing sure. he did, uh, and John's reflexively reacting to that. It is interesting that that Erica in her speech said that she was an atheist. Like she said, yeah. as a little girl, I could see what pretend was and what wasn't, and she mentioned the Lord as being pretend. And now I wonder if she's coming. We always assume that she was a spiritual one and that John is the atheist. It'd be interesting if that actually was reversed, and then so, now they're reversing again. Well, the the tying together of the bird and God in that statement, right? Like, yes. I, I see pretend. I know pretend when I see it. Wishes the bird, pretend, God. Birds pretend, God's pretend. Uh, and and the fact that about a month ago, she says, she took that bird out to the woods. So something changed her mind about the bird, right? Why yeah. the hell else would she be out there? Yeah. Uh, we know that John sure as hell did a lot more than a month's worth of time for shooting Virgil. He's got to, right? I mean, can you get off with a month, maybe? No, no, he did years, I'm, I'm pretty I, sure. Okay, I thought Attempted so. Attempted murder, yeah. Yeah. So, it, whatever changed her mind wasn't what Virgil did, and it wasn't the departure. Yeah. It was something else that we don't know about. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out, yeah, why she changed her mind on that stuff. And is is that maybe, like, is John resentful that 
Virgil changed her mind about it, I, but she seems resentful seems, yeah, to that, whatever Virgil did too. That so seems like too petty. Yeah, I I don't know. It's up in the air, but I'm super curious about it. We need to keep trucking because we still got a yeah, bunch yeah. of bunch of stuff. Uh, Carter from Texas says, "Time and time again, we are reminded this show is not going to answer the departure question." I was 100% on board with this from the get-go. The instant I saw the MIT guys back in episode 202, I knew Lindelof was giving in to temptation. I no, let it go. No, come on. But then the cold open of Lens came onto the screen and gave me a PTSD flashback. By the way, you'll notice I dropped the cold open thing because apparently I'm just fucking wrong on that. Like, this show's just yeah. all about cold opens. It's always been about cold opens, and I'm a complete dumbass who probably shouldn't be hosting a podcast on the show. <laughs> Anyway, or so our fans tell us, as Carter says, I let it go. But then the cold open of lens came on the screen and gave me a PTSD flashback. Half an hour later, Nora gets a phone call telling her about Azrael and I'm pissed. Don't get me wrong. The episode is phenomenal. and I'm not quitting the show by any means. It's just frustrating to have to reevaluate kind of show I'm watching. If Patty guides Kevin to a hatch that Azrael comes out of in a cloud of smoke, I'm officially gone. Look, man, there's a difference between searching for an answer and finding an answer. Yes. And that's what they're doing is they're searching for an answer. And everybody should be searching. If they weren't searching for an answer in some capacity, what the hell are they doing? I mean, that's the thing. It's like the other thing is like with Lost, you were encouraged to find the answer because the answers were there and we're building to something. And look at these Wikipedia. And they and said, we'll answer the questions. Don't Here worry. Here is he saying, I'm not. You're never. I'm never. I'm never. And I know there's wiggle room. We talked about the wiggle room. The fact that like there's ongoing mysteries and maybe they'll explain those. I would say stop. <laughs> they're not gonna. Like – we're yeah. examining these for clues for what the characters are going to do and what it means to them. But whether Azrael is real and all that stuff, it's like maybe that'll be interesting at the very, very end of the series. But I'm going like to take the bird a... thing is not interesting in and of itself. It's interesting in the way that in what it does to Erica, especially if it ends up that's a cosmic joke that someone that, yeah. that, that somehow like what if she's sleepwalking and her alternate <laughs> self goes out and digs up the bird and because replaces that's it with the live what she one? Wants. Because that's what she wants to. Like yeah. that's something the show could would be completely satisfying. Would be a complete mindfuck. And they play the piano music and the violins, and he starts crying. That's the kind of show you're watching. This isn't a shark with a Dharma logo and, oh, my God, what does it mean? We're getting a little riled up on the emailer here, but sorry, yeah, but I don't you, mean you take our meaning. You know, we're not angry with you. We're just saying. And I'm not even angry. I'm like I'm I'm one, I'm I'm talking to you as a friend, saying <laughs> don't flush this toilet. Don't flush the show down the toilet because you're afraid of Demi of, of Lindelof, fucking you. Like if he does, we'll be right. We'll, we'll we'll hurt him. We'll get on his podcast and we'll, we'll have probably four, let's let's make yes, it clear. Yes, we're going to insult him until he cries. We'll we'll we don't even need him on Twitter. We'll get forty fifty emailers with brick bats and we'll just we'll all tear. <laughs> him down and and talk about how unfair it's been but yeah i think he's gone uh, uh, you know beyond the call of duty of trying to make us not feel that way like watch the show for the emotion and for the characters and the mystery is just an engine that keeps that thing going forward i don't think i've ever read an interview with him post lost that hasn't been no i'm not going to answer the question of what what happened during the departure yeah i mean good god the theme song is let the mystery be <laughs> yeah. if he couldn't if he could make it any clearer he would yeah i think he's done enough danny h said i have a feeling based on this episode that matt is going to lead the people of the encampment in a miracle declaring that everyone should have access to this quote-unquote holy land 
He was shocked by the desperation of people trying to get in last episode, and now he seems to be becoming some kind of spiritual leader. Mm-hmm. Could he lead his taco truck people to salvation, much like many other biblical figures? Yeah, I don't see why not. I think that would be dope to see him literally crashing the gates mm-hmm. with the combined. Like, you can't stop us all. This belongs to everyone. Wallow in the mud pit. Yeah. Uh,. He, uh, I also noticed, Danny did, last week that John used the words, my wife went deaf, which means she wasn't deaf from birth. I'm assuming that her father played a role in it, or even John caused it, and his guilt has manifested as a hatred for miracle. Can't wait for the standard Lindelof flashback episode. So I think that, too. Mm. I think there's something with the deafness and the trauma in the family and John's violent nature and him trying to kill his father-in-law. This has got to be connected. Yeah, yeah, I I see I see why you think that. Sure. Uh, Lindsay from Oregon says this show is by far my favorite on television right now. The tension in every scene is amazing. A real quick plot point and question: As I know you guys record soon, this is a meta thing I shouldn't have read, but I did. <laughs> this is where we're at. Let the mystery be. I personally don't think the girls departed. Why would they make a point of showing them running naked in the woods? However, if they did somehow depart, I think the theory of those who departed were some... Well, first of all, I think you've, you've messed up your timeline because I think you're saying running naked in the woods as rejecting them being departed, but that came before the alleged departure. I, I thought she departure. was going for the thematic connection. Okay, but, okay. yeah, That's okay. what I thought too, but then as I read, I'm like, wait a second, if this is literally... Literally true. Yeah. Um, however, if they did somehow depart, I think the theory of those who departed were somehow wished away by their loved ones gains and steam this episode. Sure. The first disappearance we see back in season one is of a baby crying, and you can tell the mom is at a breaking point, then poof, gone. Nora, too, overwhelmed by her family at the moment as they disappeared and was wishing they were gone. The elderly couple from the first season with the Down Syndrome son may have also been concerned for his future and on some level wished him away, then poof, he was gone. Kevin was having an affair and may have hoped it would all disappear, and then poof, it was gone. That's a good take. Like, he's literally in mid-coitus with the woman saying, oh, God, this is a mistake. I wish I hadn't done this. Poof, she's Poof, gone. she's gone. And now Erica made an actual wish to make sure her daughter was okay without her, and now she, too, Poof, is gone. What do you think about this new development for this long-standing history or theory? Any traction? I just hope that they weren't in any kind of serious Kama Sutra position, because imagine that. Your support brace goes completely away. <laughs> You end up in some some trauma, I'm just saying. I wish I'd read his email last, just so I could say, and with that, poof, our podcast is gone. Damn it! I'm one, it I was anyway. one away. I was one away. Yep. Uh, I mean, that's kind of a mainstream theory at this point. Uh, I'm sorry, I lost the thread in the confusion. Just that people wishing their family, like, this is further evidence that what people yeah. have been theorizing is true. Now, normally I don't read this stuff because... I, you so, know, it's, so encouraging, I say, it's encouraging to, to 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 play the game that Lindelof doesn't want you to play, figuring out the departure. So that's the thing. I I wouldn't necessarily say that this had has lend, lent any credibility to the idea that that is what's happening. I think it was there to highlight what's going through everyone's head. And also that this the is... The guilt they feel. The uh, guilt is a natural reaction to those thoughts that we all have. Yeah. We all have. We all wish something could be different that could be in a monkey paw way misinterpreted, or we have a moment of weakness where we're just super frustrated. We all have that. 
And if, yeah. if it's like, you know, if, if the last word you had was, anything, you know, me and Jim get in a fight and he walks out of the studio and he goes to get his goddamn burrito. And you, get hit by day, and you get hit by a bus. Yeah. I'm thinking, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I wish I didn't call you a hat fucker before you <laughs> left the door. Like that well, happens. There is right? no day where that will not be true. It's true. <laughs> this this is a, a day in life. But and the other side, saying? the other side is, yeah, I absolutely. And know then what when it happens 140 million simultaneously, that's a that's a fuck. That's that's really fucked up. A lot of people feeling a lot of guilt. Yeah. And and Nora, you know, also the denial, right? Like the stuff she says about like, you know, you didn't cause it to happen. I think there's also truth to that, right? Like you do kind of need to get past that guilt at some point to yeah. to lead the healthy family life that she's trying to lead with her new family. Yeah. Uh, so. I don't know. She's a, a little militant about that idea. She's a little angry uh, and a little desperate. But I think there's also some truth to that as well. Indeed. Joel H. has the poof and organ email position. Reading this week's or watching this week's episode, I realized two things. Number one, this is the first TV series that I wished I owned the soundtrack to. Amazing mm. music choices through and through. Oh, that steel guitar, that, that slide guitar version of the theme. Uh-huh. Was awesome. Yeah, and the opening, the um, what is that? Oh yeah, um, whatever piano and vocals. It's I E O U. It's uh, yeah, something about technology. I, I don't know the name. Damn of it. it, damn it. Um, I was just discussing this was on Facebook, but yeah, you, you've got Kazam. You know how this stuff works. Sure, good stuff. I actually thought that was like a old hippie protest song. It turns out oh. it's it's like. Only three years old. It came out in 2012. You've heard this song before? No, I haven't. But oh, when okay. I heard it, my I first haven't. reaction is this is some obscure anti, you know, anti-war or protest song that I'm not familiar with, but it's not. So, huh. um, And also, Tandy, if you forget your vows. He also says, point to second, the female characters in this show are some of the strongest on television. I know you guys are fans of Carrie Coon. And also, yeah. not strong in the Joss Whedon, and I'm not... This sounds like I'm taking a shot at him. I'm not not strong in the literally like, oh, look at River Tam. She kicks ass. Badass, oh, look at, yeah. look at Black Widow. She kicks ass. This is like strong, like this is a strong character. Yeah. I know you guys are fans of Carrie Coon. She's a terrific actor. And Nora Zapp's uh, obviously very strong. Then we have Regina King, who is killing it this season. Mm-hmm. Had no idea little Brenda Jenkins from 227 was going to grow up to be such a badass. Apparently that was a show on NBC for five years. What was two two seven? I have never heard of that. It's like show. a post Cosby era kind of thing. Okay, I, but I like had no idea that that was a show. <laughs> uh, this scene between Nora and Erica was tense and just as edgy and dangerous as it would have been between two heavyweight male actors in the same role. Yeah, there are also two standouts for me. But Liv Tyler's Meg is suddenly also a badass. And even the typically annoyingly angsty teenage daughter is remolded by Margaret Qualley's portrayal of Jill as tough-as-nails young woman who can handle her own shit. Hell, even post-ghost hallucination, post-mortem Patty Levin is very strong. The women have uh, kind of own this show right now, and I love it. I can't argue with any of that. Who the hell is the lead actress in this show? Uh, it's got to be Nora. It's, it's got to be Carrie Coon. But I feel like we've had just as much time with Regina King. Well, and like, is Kevin still? I mean, is Justin Thoreau still the lead actor? Good question. Like, I, I feel like everybody. This is a true ensemble, right? Like, oh yeah. How, how do this you separate more so than ever? Definitely, yeah. First season, I could see you know Kevin's the lead, and did you know that Margaret Qualley was or Qualley or whatever you pronounce her name is Andy McDowell's daughter? No. 
makes perfect sense. Like that okay. hair. Uh-huh. Like I know, I know where you got that hair. Um, <laughs> because she has amazing hair. No, I, yeah, the, it's, it used to be like justified was notable for having these strongly written female characters. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like there's, there's, uh, this is chock full of them. Yeah, and they're they're given enough time to be actual characters, which is also right. important to the right. process. And they feel very real. Yeah, and they've got flaws, but there's you know, they're they're smart and they're powerful. Yeah, it's it's great. It's all good stuff. Yeah, I'm loving this season. Uh, poof, the podcast is gone. Uh, before we dissolve into the ether, you can send us feedback at leftovers at baldmove dot com, and of course forums that baldmove dot com if you want to discuss any crazy theories or. Yeah. Scream at the Lindelof gods. <laughs> All right. Or demons. Cool. Well, we'll be back, you know, next week, next Tuesday with another one of these. I hope it's another awesome episode. I can't see it not being. I wouldn't bet against it. Yeah, at this point. Uh, so thanks, everyone, for listening. Until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See ya. See ya.